Thank you, choir. I hope as you hear them sing, that you just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and see what He wants to tell you through those words, through the song. Uh, beautiful, beautiful song. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Now being a Christian uh, receives mixed reviews in our culture. You know, there are some ideas and activities and behaviors in our culture uh, that we observe that uh, seem to run parallel to Christianity. Therefore, as you live out your identity in Christ, as you, as you live the Christian life, uh, there's not a whole lot of friction there between what the culture is doing and what you're doing. However, there are other ideas and activities and behaviors that we notice in our culture that runs more perpendicular to Christianity. And so when we live out our faith in our culture, sometimes there is a great deal of friction. And Peter starts in this passage in verse 11 by saying, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And what Peter has done over the past several verses in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he has been establishing the fact that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been given a new life, a new citizenship, and you are part of a, a new people. And implied in that idea is that when you become a new person, when you become part of a new people, when you gain this new citizenship, implied in that is that there may be some discrepancy between the person you were the citizenship you had, the people you were a part of, and the people that you are now a part of. There's going to be friction at times. And so the question is, how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we live in this world, even though our identity and our citizenship is caught up in the world to come? So how do, how, how do we as Christians live in a world that is surrounded by a culture that has its identity tethered to this world and not the world to come. And really it comes down to how we make our decisions. Like how you go about making your everyday decisions. What are the reasonings for your decision making? What's your motivation? And what I think is true is that we make our decisions based on what we most want. You know, what you most want dictates... Your decision. That's what drives you. For example, I went to a, a marketing seminar the other day. And I was sitting in this marketing seminar, and it was interesting. Was, there were a lot of businesses, and then there was me, you know, the pastor of this church. But they invited me, so I went down there just to, I was curious of what this, this guru, this marketing guru was going to say. And so basically, here's the gist of the seminar. I'm going to give it to you real quick, uh, because I'm not trying to make any money. This is, I'm just going to give you this to... The one-liner. If you want more money for your business, you need more customers. Right? Uh, this marketing 101. 
And if you want more customers, now here's, here's where they get you right here. If you want more customers, then you need to buy this advertising. Right? If you want, if you want more business, more customers, well, the way to get more customers is you buy this advertising and voila, your business is booming. Well, we all know that you don't, you don't buy advertising, you don't buy commercials because you just love commercials. And you think, you know, your, your ad on a billboard would just look pretty up there. No, you buy it because you want more business. You want more customers. And so that's what governs your uh, decision making. That's why you buy this different advertising. And I don't think it's that much different when you think about how we make our decisions in our lives. You know, the reason you buy that car, that house, that shirt, it's for a reason. You know, the reason that you spend time doing this and not that, there's a reason for that. There's a motivation the reason why you work to do this or that is governed by a drive or a motivation. There's a reason why you do that. The reason why you um, lie or the reason why you avoid responsibility or the reason why you uh, look at sites that you shouldn't look at or have conversations that you probably shouldn't have with the opposite sex or maybe there's certain reasons you fantasize about a, a certain future for yourself. All this is, is really governed by certain desires within you, certain reasons that are within you. We do very few things, I think, because of unconscious instinct or some neutral desire. You know, I heard a, I heard a grown woman say the other day that... When she gets dressed in the morning, she still hears the voice of her mother telling her what she should wear. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That could be a good thing. It might save her some embarrassment, right? right? So it's probably good that you're listening to the voice of your mother. But what I'm saying is our decisions are governed by certain reasons. And for her, when she gets dressed in the morning, that is governed by... What her, what her mother might think, or the advice of her mother. And that's, that's good. It speaks into the, her reasoning. But we are all governed by certain reasons, certain motivations. And in this letter of 1 Peter, what Peter's going to do is he's going to challenge three reasons that tend to govern how we live our lives. He's going to challenge them with the gospel. And those three reasons that he's going to challenge is our pursuit of comfort, our pursuit of self-gratification, pleasure, and our, our pursuit of self-preservation or protection. He's going to challenge those reasons by applying the gospel to those different ideas, different reasons. And in verses 11 and 12 that I read earlier, what Peter's doing is he's giving, he's giving us a general introduction to what he's going to specifically lay out in the chapters to come. In other words, he's going to say, here are some reasons why you should live your life this way rather than that way. And then he's going to apply it to how we relate to the government, how we relate to our masters, those in authority over us, how we relate to our spouse. So he's going to get very specific in the chapters to come, in the verses to come. But to start out with, he's going to give us an introduction of what should be our reasoning for why we should do good. And he gives us three reasons for doing good rather than pursuing what he calls the passions of the flesh. The first reason for doing good is that by doing good, you become what God wants you to be. 
I believe this is his first reason. In verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So, to be what God wants you to be, you need to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, what are the passions of the flesh? And in the New Testament, if you read the New Testament, you'll see certain authors giving you a list of, okay, if you're following the passions of the flesh, you may be doing these things. And one such list is found in Galatians 5, 19-21. And this is what it says. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. And so what Paul's saying here to the Galatians is that these natural impulses that you have, these desires of the flesh, produce certain type of behaviors. And he gives a list of them there. And he's saying basically these are the outworkings of the flesh. And that's what Peter's saying. These passions of the flesh, the outworkings of the flesh... And one scholar describes the flesh this way. Because you may be thinking, flesh, okay, is that just the physical part of your body? Well, one scholar says this about the flesh. He says, in the New Testament, the word flesh stands for more than just your body and physical nature. It stands for human nature apart from God. It means unredeemed and unregenerate human nature. It means Christless nature. It means life lived without standards, without the help, without the grace, without the influence of Christ. So the flesh is that part of you or that aspect of you that would live life without the influence of Christ. So you could think about yourself before you became a Christian. Or if you're not a Christian, you could think about how you live your life now. It's without the influence of Christ. It's governed by your natural impulses, your desires, your motivations, not the motivations of what God would want for you. So why should we abstain from that? You may say, well, Ron, that sounds interesting, but why should we abstain from the passions of the flesh and obey God? Why should we do that? Well, Peter says that the passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. And and what's the purpose of war? You you go to war to gain control and to set up a certain type of rule or government. Right? And so, I want you just to look at your Bibles at verse 11 again. Now, if you don't have your Bible, I want to strongly encourage you to bring your Bible. If you have a Bible, 
bring it with you Sunday morning. This is kind of a tangent, but you know what we're going to do Sunday after Sunday is we're going to look at the Scripture and we're going to try to figure out, okay, what is God saying to us and how do we apply what He's saying to us today? That's what we're going to be doing Sunday after Sunday. We're going to keep going back to the Scriptures. It's not just going to be about you know a heartwarming story or a certain illustration. We're going to ask the question, what is God saying to us in His Word? And so you're going to need the Bible. So you can read it for yourself and say, okay, what is God saying here? And is that lining up with what Ron's saying? Because I hope it is. And if it's not, please come tell me because I'd like to be corrected. But we want to know what God's saying to us this morning. So I want you to look at your Bible in verse 11 again. And I just want this verse to sink in. He says, the passions of your flesh wage war against your soul. And that's very descriptive language. That's that's some serious language. In other words, he's saying by, by yielding to our natural impulses, we actually damage that which we are trying to preserve, namely ourselves. You know, you're, you're trying to live life. You're trying to get all that life has to offer for you. And what he's saying is, if you're not submitting to God and His ways, you're actually damaging that which you're trying to preserve, yourself. These passions of the flesh are waging war against your soul. And, and by, seeking, by seeking personal comfort, by seeking personal pleasure and personal security at the expense of obeying God, you're actually becoming less human, if I can say it that way, or less of what God intended you to be. And the reason I, I phrase it that way is because I was reading a, a book, I'm in the process of reading a book to our children. It's called The Hobbit. I'm sure you've heard of it. But we've been reading The Hobbit together. We've been trying to make our way through it. And there's one character, as I've, as I've been reading through this book, that really stood out to the kids. And this character, his name is Gollum. And if you've, if you've read The Hobbit, seen The Hobbit, or read The Lord of the Rings, or seen the movies, you know who I'm talking about. Gollum is this short figure, I would say maybe about up to my waist, if I had to guess, his height. He's about the size of a hobbit, which a hobbit is half of a man, pretty much, or a human. And so you had this hobbit who once was a friendly hobbit, living in the Shire, had friends. And one day, he and his friend were out and about fishing, I believe it was. And his friend came across this ring. And it's a ring of power that was created by an evil ruler. And so the, the, the ring had great power, but it's, it was tainted with evil. And so his friend grabs the ring, and then this, uh, his other hobbit, who would become Gollum, gets fascinated by the ring. The ring's, the ring's evil power gets a hold to him, and he kills his friend, takes the ring, and goes into isolation. And he's fascinated with the ring, and he's always using the ring, putting on the ring, and that sometimes he hates the ring because of what it does to him, but he just can't let it go. He's fascinated, and he keeps sliding the ring on, using the ring's power, and slowly but surely, Gollum, or this hobbit, is transformed. He's changed. And he's changed into a perverted version of what a hobbit should be. And if you look at him now, he looks nothing like a hobbit. He looks monstrous because of the effects of the ring. And as I was reading that, and I was thinking about Gollum, I was thinking, you know, and I was thinking about this passage in 1 Peter, I was saying, you know, 
what we slip onto our lives, whether it be the ring of power that He has or the passions of the flesh or the ring of faith in Christ, we are all in the process of becoming. The question is, what are you becoming? You know, if you keep slipping on the ring of the passions of the flesh or the natural impulses, then you will become less of what God intends you to be. Not more. You'll become less. You will reflect who God is less. You know, if if your natural impulses are left unchecked by the person of God, then they will wage war on your soul. We're not in some neutral battle here. I mean, this is one way or the other. And in a way, by yielding your desires to God and His ways, you actually become more human. And what I mean by that is you become more of what God intended you to be. Because see, without God, we are lacking. And we cannot be who, who we should be, who we were made to be without Him. And so if we keep slipping on the ring of of the flesh and going against Him, you will not be who you are intended to be. You can't be. Because you can't do it without Him. And that's why we see the first reason here for doing good is because that's the only way you will become who God wants you to be. You know, there's a reason why Jesus in his parable of the sower said that, you know, as as the sower went out to sow, he sowed some seeds among the thorns. And the plant, the, the seed took some root, it grew up, and then it was choked out by the worries of the world. And so it never produced fruit. And as followers of Jesus Christ, your fruitfulness can be choked out by your unwillingness to submit your desires to God and His ways. You, you can't produce fruit without yielding to God. And yielding your desires to Him. So we have to be careful. A few of, a few of the enemies of submitting our desires to God are, that keep us from doing that. Uh, one can be routine. You just get in the habit of doing things a certain way. Instead of really asking the Lord, God, is this what you would have me to do? Routine can get in the way. Culture, just because you've been raised in a certain part of the world, uh, you may think something's right and good when in actuality it may not be because you've never submitted that to the Lord and asked Him, is this what you would want me to do? Is this where you would want me to go? Is this how you would want me to do these things? Another thing could be your family. I mean, there could be family influence on you that is, is against the way God would have you to go. And so you have to navigate how do you honor your family, but at the same time, follow God's direction according to Scripture. And obviously, the one Peter brings out here is the flesh. We have to be aware that there are impulses, desires within us that if they are left unchecked, will take us in a road perpendicular to where God wants to take us. So as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, we must seek God through the reading of His Word. We've got to read the Scripture. We need to be under the teaching of the Scripture. We need to be discussing the Scripture with other believers. We need to be in prayer. 
And we need to be in constant conversation and community with other believers. And so we, we want to be governed. You know, I want to be governed. I want to be driven by my citizenship in God's kingdom. That's what I want to, to drive me. And I hope that's what you want to drive, drive you as well. So the first reason for doing good is that by following God, you will actually become what God wants you to be. And there's also a second and a third reason why we should be motivated for doing good. And he tells us in verse 12, Peter says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we're actually going to see both the second and the third reason in this verse. The second reason for doing good is that it actually benefits those around you who do not know Christ. And the third reason is that by doing good, it gives glory to God. And we're going to see how that works out. And we see that these two are connected, but I want to break them apart and just look at them one by one. So the first one is that by doing good, there's actually, it actually can benefit those around you who do not know Christ. Peter says that by, by living in an honorable way, and that word there is, is one of the Greek words used for the, the idea of goodness. And he specifically is talking about living in a winsome way. Living a beautiful life. A good life. Doing good things. By doing that, people will notice. People will take note. Now granted, he says, some will speak negatively of you because of how you live and what you believe. I mean, has anyone done that? Has anyone ever spoken negatively about you because you obeyed Jesus in some situation? I mean, I, I know they have with me. I, I know there has been, I could tell you about instances where I chose to obey Christ in this situation and I was mocked for it or talked down upon for it or criticized for it. And you have too. Now, some are going to withstand greater hostility than that around the world, you know. But the point is that sometimes people will speak negatively about you because following God sometimes runs, it runs against the grain of the culture. And when that happens, you'll be criticized. But some of you have absorbed that. And some of you have endured that because of your love for truth, your love for Jesus and, and His love for you. So there will be a negative response, but there also may be an eventual positive response. You know, by pursuing God in His ways, or as Peter puts it, by doing good, by doing good, by making choices based on who God is and what He's done for you, then what that can do is actually act as a catalyst that can cause those around you to place their faith in Jesus Christ. By doing good, not only does it nourish and grow your own soul, but also it can act as a, a catalyst to those around you to take interest and begin following Jesus Christ. You know, Peter in this passage, he's clearly drawing on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5. Matthew five fourteen and 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? 
so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we see through the teachings of Jesus and Peter that your decisions matter. You know, the choices you make, they do not just affect you. You know, once you take a, a rock, and I'm sure you've all done this, you take a rock and, you just, and you're out, maybe at a pond or a lake, you take a rock, you, you sling it out there, you throw it out there, and it lands in the water, what happens? It produces these ripples. You know. So once you throw that rock in that pond, it produces these ripples. And in a similar way, once you make the choice, when, in whatever instance it is, once you make the choice to obey God or not to obey God, the rock lands in the water and the ripples go out. And they go out to all the people around you. And the question is, can they trace the ripple back to Jesus? Can they, as they see you make your decisions, live your life, can they begin to trace those ripples back to a motivation stemming from the gospel, stemming from your identity in Jesus Christ rather than your identity in the world? So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are, are, we, are we living out the gospel? Are our motivations, our decisions based on what God has done for us? You know, there will be those who speak against you. But there will be those who see you persevering in the faith that will be uh, enlightened, so to speak. Or they will take notice and consider who Christ is. So not only should we do good for the health of our own souls, but we should also do good for those around us so that they may believe, in, believe on Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and, and experience new life in Him. Now the third reason actually is a combination of the first two. And that is doing good glorifies God. And we see it all throughout Scripture. Doing good glorifies God. It's an act of worship. You know, when we trust the Lord and make a decision, that's an act of worship to Him. He's pleased by that. He loves that. He sees us acting out who we are. And He loves that. Peter says in verse 12, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And specifically, Peter's saying that those who may currently speak against you will at some point give God the recognition that He deserves. Those who speak against you and that speak against Christ will at some point give God the recognition He deserves. Now the question is when, obviously. Um, you know, this idea on the day of visitation, Peter says, that he'll, they'll give glory to God on the day of visitation. One scholar said that the, this idea of visitation is, is one of God drawing near to men to deal with mankind in either judgment or mercy. It's this drawing near of God to men to deal with mankind in either judgment or mercy. And so in a way, in a way, when you choose to obey God, when you choose to do good, as Peter says, you bring God nearer to the people around you in a very visible way. When you choose to follow Christ, in whatever situation you're in, throughout the day, 
If Christ is your motivation and what He's done for you, if that's your motivation, you're living that out, you're bringing God nearer to the people around you in a very visible way. And so in one sense, there's there's that visitation then. But we also know that when Jesus Christ returns to renew the world, that there will be a judgment as well. And we know according to Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we know that God will be glorified through our recognition of who Jesus truly is. And the question is, and I think this is the one that we need to wrestle with, will we glorify God in a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ by being submitted to Christ in a relationship with Him? Or will we glorify God by being submitted to Christ in relation to Him? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Everyone's going to recognize God for who He is. The question is, will you do that as someone who has a relationship with God through Christ? Or will you do that on the other side of the fence through someone who has rejected God all your life and now you are recognizing recognizing Him for who He is at the judgment? And obviously our hope and one of the motivations for us to do good in the world is so that more and more people will be recognizing and glorifying God out of a relationship with Him and not out of a position of resistance. Because only one of those paths lead to eternal life with God. And that is the path through a relationship through Jesus Christ. So, when we choose to do good, not only do we benefit our souls, but we also benefit those around us and ultimately it glorifies God. And I want to encourage you, As you leave here today, I want you to seek to do good because of what God has done for you in Christ. I want you to notice the significance of where Peter puts this passage. You know, he's going to start talking about doing good. He's going to start talking about this is how you relate to your government. This is how you relate to your master. This is how you relate to your spouse. This is how you live it out. But what is that coming from? In chapter 1 and 2, he's already said, you know, you, you have been born again to a living hope. You are a new people. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are the people of God. You are the royal priesthood. So if you are in Christ, you are already right with God. And now Peter's saying, is this, is, this is just how we live this out in the world. This is how you live out your new identity in the world. You don't do good to try to earn your identity. You don't do good to try to be put in this new people of God, but you have already been put in the people of God, and this is how we live it out. This is how we do it. This is how we walk in the friction of life by faith in Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is today, as we leave today, that we would do good, not only for the nourishment and the benefit of our own souls, but for those around us, and ultimately, that God will be glorified. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word and how it speaks true. Lord, I pray that it would penetrate our hearts this morning. That it would sift our motivations. It would sift our actions. It would sift our affections. 
And Lord, we desire to know you, to live for you, to become what you want us to be. And I pray for each person here that that would be exactly what they want as well. Lord, we also pray for those who aren't with us today. That want to know you, that are curious. Lord, would you bring them here? So that we can know them, so that they can hear your words, so they can sing, pray, experience others who are walking with you. That you may be glorified on the day of visitation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.